so many of us, when we're going through testings and trials and temptations, we're looking for a way out other than God. We're looking at something that we can trust to pull us through, and that's what idolatry is. You see, when we talk about idolatry, we, we, we think idolatry to be a tangible thing only. But idolatry literally falls under the banner of anything, anyone, anywhere that we put our trust other than God. God said, I will make a way. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Keep your lives free from trusting this world's system. And listen to what it says. Be content with what you have because I have said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God said, stop trusting the world system. Stop trusting money. Stop trusting mammon. Stop trusting the things around you and realize where you are. Be thankful for what you have. I'll take care of what you don't have because I have promised I will never leave. I will never forsake. And because of that, you can say with confidence, God is my helper, and I will not be afraid what man can do. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. I'm going to take you back to Proverbs chapter 3. Last week we spent the entire morning in two verses. I'm going to include those two verses, but I'm going to take you into uh, uh, eight more of them and take you all the way to the 10th verse from the first verse. And what I'm doing is I'm concluding the series today on, on living a victorious life. How, how do we do this? And the title of today's sermon is the bottom line. It's the nuts and bolts. Faith is the key to living the victorious Christian life. Faith is the key to the victory that your pastor has. People look at me all the time and they ask me, Pastor, are you ever down? Are you ever bothered? Are you ever bummed? Does things ever bother you? Sure. Like that. I couldn't have asked that one better. But uh, that was last night's pizza. It just comes up sometimes. Uh, but I make a choice, ladies and gentlemen, and I want you to listen to, the, to me real quick. I make a choice whether it will bother me or not. And let me let that settle for a second. The only way anything can bother you is if you let it bother you. Let me say it again. I don't think it's sticking. The only way anything can bother you, I don't care what it is, 
is if you choose to let it bother you. How many of you ladies like these nice little fans we eat? Pretty nice, yeah. We got a whole basket of fans. If you want a fan, and if they're 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 neuter sen- or they're they're gender sensitive, so it doesn't matter. Uh, boy, girl, doesn't matter. You can go get one if you're a boy too. It's okay. Got a fan some air, but we got some fans because it gets hot in this building. This building doesn't have air conditioning, folks. And so, a couple times of the year, or, or during the summer, uh, for a, about six weeks, there's it gets a little warm. Uh, so get a fan. They're all in the back if you'd like. There's something that the Lord taught me a long time ago, and it's one of those little things that I say all the time is, there are many things in life that are bothersome. But the question you have to ask is, why do they only bother some? Why do they only? Why what bothers me doesn't bother my wife? Why what bothers my wife doesn't bother me? Why? She better? She worse? Me better? Me No. Is it not just the fact that she chose not to let it bother her? How many ever got irritated at somebody because there was something bothering you, but it didn't bother them? Come on, lift your hand. Be honest. Why? Why does that bother you that it doesn't bother them? Well, because they're the ones that were wrong. Fine. Why are you letting it bother you? Well, you don't understand what the... Great, super. But why are you letting it put you in a prison? Faith is the key to overcoming because faith is the bridge that causes us the ability to come over to God's side, to the victory that God wants us to have. Can somebody say amen? This still sounds really muddy up here. Christianity, in your notes, is the easiest and the hardest, most difficult religion in the world. It's the easiest because all has been done. Everything's been done. But it's the hardest because all has been done. There's nothing we can do to add to it. We can do nothing to obtain it except, except by faith. Except Accept by faith the one who gave it. I love this quote, and I've used it here uh, in you know uh, a year or so ago. Uh, but it bears good in this message by A. W. Tozier, one of the great uh, pastors and ministers of years gone by. He said, "The man of pseudo faith, or the man of a of a surface faith, a faith, a a you know kind of almost a a feigned faith, a fake." faith, a man of pseudo-faith, this person will fight for his verbal creed, but refuse flatly to allow himself to get into a predicament where his future must depend on that creed being true. We'll fight tooth and nail. I believe God. I trust God. I know God is going to do this. But the minute we have to be held to that line, how many run to something else? Let me continue on. He always provides himself secondary ways of escape so that he will have a way out in case the roof caves in. That rainy day stash. That place to run to for work. That place to have that nobody knows about. 
And we call that our faith. But listen what Tozier ends his statement with. He says, what we need badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as we'll have to on the last day that the Lord takes us home. People always ask me, they say, Pastor, how can I know God's will? How can I be successful in God before others, before myself, before God? Many of them have asked me over the years, Pastor, how can I be as content as you? How can I be just kind of, just kind of stable? And I've found that God has set in order in his word a pattern of things to follow if we are to have victorious, happy, successful Christian lives. And the key to that, and many of the questions that we ask, can simply be attained as we decide with our whole hearts to really have faith in God. So let me jump into Proverbs 3. The notes will be on the screen, but I encourage you to open your Bibles and follow along. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. You hear God's express statement to us? Don't forget my law, keep my commands. And then he says, if you'll do that part, I'll do this part. I will make sure your days are long and your life is filled with peace. You notice he didn't say absent of problems. Then he goes on to say, let mercy, excuse me, let not mercy and truth forsake you, but bind them on your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. He said, be merciful and honest and truthful in every situation of your life. Matter of fact, let this become such a part of your life that it's bound about you. And your very heart, the very first thing that happens when somebody does something wrong or some situation happens, you don't, you don't retaliate or become vengeful. You immediately become merciful and filled with peace. Why? Because you're following what God said. You're following mercy and truth. He said, if you do this, you see how God says, I will do this part if you will do, if you will do this part. If you will let mercy and truth be your life, if you will let them become such an a intricate part that is written on the very tablet of your heart, he said, you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Let me tell you something, folks. People might not like where you stand, but they know where you stand. They might not like what you believe, but they know what you believe. If you do these things. I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse, I think, in life than a vacillating person. A person that is gray one moment, or black one moment, white the next moment. Their life is kind of always gray, some shade of gray. You know, depending on who they're with is depending on what they believe at the time. How many know folks like that? Don't raise your hand, but... How many are folks like that? See what God says? He said, you got your part, I got my part. Then he goes on to say, the verses we looked at last week, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not to your own 
understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he said, I will direct your path. He said, if you'll trust me, if you'll acknowledge me, if you will seek me and stop trying to figure this out, I will take care of your path. I will lead you. I will guide you. Is any of this making sense today, ladies and gentlemen? And then what's he say? Just what I just established. Stop trying to figure this thing out. He said, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear God and depart from evil. What's it mean to be to fear God? Does it mean to be afraid of God? Well, there is that aspect of it, but that's not what he's talking about. It's not a fear that God is going to reach down and somehow slap us over the head. It is a fear as far as respect. When I was growing up, my dad was, you know, six foot two, and he was a, you know, a very, very strong man. He was always doing stuff. And I feared my dad, not because I was afraid of my dad. I respected my dad, as some of you in this place. Sadly, it's when we lose respect that we no longer fear. We don't fear the law because we don't respect the law. We don't fear the government because we don't respect the government. We don't fear fill in the blank because we've lost respect. Am I making sense this morning? Stop being wise in your own eyes, but fear God and depart from evil. He said, if you'll do this, it'll bring health in your life and strength to your, be- to your being, which is what it's talking about, health to your flesh, strength to your bones. And then he goes to the place, and I, I love the way the 10th verse changes, uh, uh, adds this in there before it changes subjects. It says, and honor the Lord with your possessions with the very first fruits of everything you increase with. We just received our Sunday morning tithe and offering. And that's what the Word of God's talking about, putting God first. It all belongs to God. God said, trust me with it to do what I said I would. And then he said, if you will do this, I will make sure your barns are full. I will make sure your barns are full. You may not have everything you want, but you'll have everything you need. He said, I'll make sure. See, God lays down, how do we live that victorious Christian life? We have to have faith that God will do what he said. So let's jump into our notes. Faith understands God will do what he said he would do. The question that I have to ask is, do we believe that? The underlying principle in knowing God, his will for our life, and growing our lives as stewards is the same thing that I've talked about in the entirety of this series. It's trusting God. The only way we can live a victorious Christian life is with total, unconditional trust. And whether we like it or not, it's God's way or the highway. Is that okay to say in church? Because, ladies and gentlemen, I've been on that highway of trying to figure it out. I've been on that highway of thinking, well, you know, maybe there's a different God. Maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's a different... I've been. And, folks, I fall flat on my face every time. The root of all God wants and all that we need is found in these ten verses. And the interesting thing, as I've already pointed out, 
is every one of these state of these in these verses are all inclusive statements. God said, I'll do my part if you will do your part. Can somebody say amen? amen. Scripture declares, if we'll do as he has said, he will do as he has promised. But that is a direct conflict the way we want it. How many out there would like to say, God, you do your part first? Am I the only one? I've asked God, God, do your part first. God said that's not the way it works. You see, we would rather have God make good on his promises before we take him at his word. But listen to this, and it's in your notes, and I want you to underline it. God's requirement of faith always precedes his response to faithfulness. God's requirement of faith always precedes his response to faithfulness. I'm trying to help us understand how to live a victorious Christian life. Is that in your notes? Did you underline it? Borrow a pencil from somebody. You see, the Bible says without faith, we can't even be faithful to God. And without faith, God will not be faithful to us. The Bible says those that come to God in Hebrews 1, 11, 6, says those that come to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can somebody say amen? Yeah. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, here is a trustworthy saying. He, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. You hear that inclusion again? He said, if we will do our part, God will do his part. He said, if you died with me, he said, I'll make sure that you live the way I have promised for you to live. If you live with me and endure as I did, I will make sure that you will reign with me. But listen to this. If we disown him, What's the next line say? Oh, we don't like this in church. We think, man, once we, get on, once we get saved, it's done. I can go eat, drink, and be merry. I can do whatever I want to. Did you turn this off? Okay, they're still listening. Okay. Patrick, still doing okay? If we disown him, what's it say? Read it with me. He will disown us. But then he, look at this. He adds this in there. If we are faithless, though, I don't know about you. I go through faithless times, folks. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. Are, are you with me today? Remember the prodigal son. The Bible says that he said, Father, I want everything that belongs to me, and I'm out of here. So what did the father do? Okay, boom. It doesn't say the father chased after him. It doesn't say the father pleaded with him to stay. You see, the father knew everything he had was in front of him. He knew what he was walking away from. Ladies and gentlemen, look at me, please. When you walk away from God, you know exactly what you're walking away from. It's not a surprise. This boy knew exactly. But dad also knew that he has poured enough into his son's life that one day, prayerfully, before he dies, 
he'll make his way home. And we know the story. The boy was afar off, and the father was watching. Now think about that for a minute. The Bible says the father never went after him, but it also said he never stopped watching for him. When Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side, the Bible says he went up in the mountain and prayed. We can find this in the book of Matthew. He went up into the mountain and prayed. But then, listen to what the Bible says. During prayer, it said, he saw them toiling on the sea. He saw the struggle they were going through, and he went walking to them on the water. Ladies and gentlemen, you might be going through things, but God's eye is never off of you. You might be going through the storm, but he's the eye of the storm, and he's watching you today. Can you say amen? The father never pleaded, never ran, but the minute the boy left, the father stayed on that porch day in and day out watching for that son to return. Oh, it took some time, but pretty soon he saw him him a a great distance off, the Bible says. I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he recognized. Was it the limp in the boy's walk? Was it the saunder in his step? I, I don't know what it was the father saw, but as he looked out there and he saw, he screamed, my son! And then the Bible says he ran after him. God's only waiting for you to lift up your eyes and return. That's all he's waiting for. And then he'll run and all of heaven, listen to what the father did with the prodigal son. He went and had the boy kill the fatted calf. He went and put the ring on his finger. He put the robe on his back. He said, my son that was lost is now found. My son that was blind, he now sees. My son that was dead, he now lives. God said he can't disown himself. And his love is faithful. Nowhere in God's word do we find God saying, if things go the way you feel like they should, then trust me. No, God's word always says, if you'll trust me, I'll make sure they go the way they're supposed to go. God will always be faithful to his word. He cannot and will not deny himself. First John 5 says it this way. I write these things to you who believe. I write these things to you who believe. Let me say that again. I write these things to you who believe. Who's he writing to? You and me. In the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have approaching God, that if we ask him anything, if we ask him anything, can you say that with me? If we ask him anything, here's the separation according to his will, not according to my want, not according to my desire, my ambition, according to his will, which literally is his plan for your life and mine, was to say, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we'll have that what we asked because we've asked according to his will. Am I making sense this morning? Trying to help us understand faith is the key of living a victorious Christian life. we got to believe that God said what he said, and he will do what he said. Do we? Second point of this series, or second point today, faith understands that God has given us responsibility also. 
You see, we, we, are, we are like that prodigal son. Well, hey, it's all there. It's, a, it's kind of a gift basket. Dad, just give it all to me, and I'll go do what I want to with it. And God said, fine. The father said, fine, go. But the boy learned responsibility pretty quick as he ran out of everything, as he poorly managed everything. The Bible says he spent it wastefully on, on, on the harlots and on the people of the fields and the different places until he finally found himself in the hog trough of life, if you will. He was eating with the pigs. He forgot that he had a responsibility in life. To live a victorious Christian life, we're responsible. And if it's not happening, folks, I'm going to run out with a lot of friends with this statement. We can't look to anybody but that guy in your chair, that gal in your chair. I tell people all the time when they ask me, well, pastor, what happens when you have a problem? The very first thing I do is I go to the mirror. That's the first thing I do. Why? Because I know the problem starts with me. Somewhere in the midst, I did or didn't do, said or didn't say, went or didn't go. How many found that to be true? Okay, we got a half dozen honest people. The truth is, folks, every single time it happens. Cameron can't sit down and, 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 and blame uh, 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 Cameron's wife. Amanda, Amber, he can't. You say, well, what if she was wrong? Makes no difference. Why is he let it bother him? Why is he let what she did affect him? Well, you can't, Pastor. I mean, my goodness, they're married. Sure you can. He can take it and say, okay, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to help my wife with it. I'm going to help myself with it, and I'm going to learn. Is all this making any sense today? I can't sit down and, and blame anything that happens in this life anywhere else but back on me first and foremost. Now, if I look in that mirror and I've asked all the questions and I've looked all the directions and said, okay, God, I don't see anything that I have or haven't, haven't done. Show me what is going on. I go back to God's word and I said, Lord, I'm not leaning to my own understanding. I've tried to figure it out, but I can't. So I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to lean to you. See, God has placed in our care all possessions, opportunities, talents, time, all that we now have and all that we now need to experience in our everyday lives. Every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year, God has placed for you and I to live with. And he says, one day, I'm going to hold account. I'm going to call responsibility for those things in your life and in my life. After he has given us the prospective talents, material possessions, he does like the prodigal's father. He does like the proverb writer. He sits back and watches and says, now what are you going to do? This is where so many years ago Horace made the famous statement, and I probably won't pronounce it, but carpe diem. How do you pronounce it, you scholars? Seize the day. Seize the moment. Let me take you back into the scriptures, Matthew 25. We find three parables 
given in a row. We find the parable of the of the uh, the lost sheep. We find the parable of the talents, and we find the parable of the virgins. They all three are the same story, but just three different perspectives. In the parable of the talents, the passage uses the words in Matthew 25, you entrusted me. Let me, in your notes, I left this. It says very simply a statement that I read many, many years ago is that God will never ask what you cannot do, but he will never do for you what he asked you to do. The end of all of these passages have the same conclusion. But I thought it very interesting that the parable of the sheep is also the parable of the goats. And that's how this entire passage ends. It starts with the virgins, the ten virgins. It goes to the ten talents, and then it goes to the sheep and the goats. And did you ever notice in reading that passage, the only difference between the sheep and the goats were what they did and didn't do? You and I are the sheep of God's pasture. But the sheep of God's pasture have lots of goats around. And the goats are the ones running around saying, but, 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 but. Always challenging, always questioning. And God says, one day I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. Why? Because instead of questioning and challenging, God says, believe and receive. Can somebody say amen? God has entrusted you and I. But with everything he's given us, he said, I expect it to prosper. I expect it to develop. I expect it to grow. I expect you to live a victorious Christian life. Colossians chapter 3 says it this way. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Since you are members of one body, you are called to peace. I'm going to give you the nugget that helps faith grow. Since you are called to peace, underline this in your notes, and be thankful. Let me start again. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Then it goes on to say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms, and then underline this, with gratitude in your hearts. You see I'm going someplace? And whatsoever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Underline this, giving thanks. The biggest problem we have in living a victorious life is we have no gratitude. We're not happy with what we have because we're unhappy with what we don't have. We're not pleased with where we are because we're not where we want to be. We're not fulfilled in what we have because somebody else has something more. And how can I be victorious if I don't have what I want? Is anybody like that? How can I be happy if I'm not happy?
How can I be fulfilled if I'm not filled? If I'm not full? God said, everything you do, in word or deed, do it unto God. And be thankful. I learned a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen, as I began to bring this to a close this morning. I learned a long time ago that if I'm ever going to have what I don't have, I better start being thankful for what I do have. And one of the problems I have in relationships, in possessions, in life, in living, is I always want something more. Go ahead, say amen, because you do too. And that's the key that stops us from living a victorious Christian life. We don't have faith in what we have, that God gave it to us, believing that he can give us the rest too. Fear. Fear that I won't get. Fear that I won't have. Fear that I won't be. Well, pastor, I listen to what you're saying, but what if I, what if I, I can't stand the test? What if it doesn't work? What if God's will is something that I can't deal with? What if I'm, I'm not able to hang on? Well, let me answer those questions very simply. If you're not trusting God, it won't work. You won't stand. You won't like God's will, and you won't hang on. Just very simple. The key to victorious Christian living is purposed through the obedience that is established by faith. Over in Ephesians... The Bible says it's by grace you were saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's God's gift. It's our faith in God's grace, God's ability working in our lives, working in this world. It's God's grace that is sufficient. It is God's grace that makes a way where there is no way. It is God's grace that puts together all the pieces that you and I have caused to fall to blitherings. I find that in this world, there's three basic types of people. There's independent people, there's dependent people, and there's interdependent people. The dependent are those that know what they need to do, but they do what they want to do anyway. That's the independent people. Maybe you're here today. They trust whatever and whoever the circumstance requires. I'm going to take you to Jeremiah 17, and I could take you to a ton of different scriptures, but I'm choosing this one. And listen what the scripture says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is everyone that trusts in man and depends on man and his strength and turns away his heart from the Lord. Whether it's your ability, my ability, somebody else's ability, your job, your fortune, He said, anyone that turns their heart away from God and trusts in these things is cursed. Those are strong words, isn't it? How many are liking the preaching so far? Look what it says. This person would be like a bush in the wastelands. Even when prosperity comes, they won't be able to see it. Why? Because they're trusting in themselves to figure out this is the way it's going to happen. 
That's the independent person. The dependent person are the ones who just step out in faith and say, well, if God said it, that's good enough for me. We're talking about the independent Christian, the dependent Christian, and the interdependent. God said it, I'm good with it. Let's go on there in Jeremiah. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. This man will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His roots will be deep in the streams. He won't be afraid when the heat comes. His leaves will always be green. No worries in the year of drought because he is planted by the streams of living water. He knows his source. She knows her source. They are totally dependent. But there's a negative side to that dependent person. They can become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. They'll come to church and they become so dependent, they become religious. They pray louder than anybody else. They give more than anybody else. But the way they give is like, see what I'm giving? They make sure that the ushers, when they're counting, that the numbers are really big. Does that ever happen, Cease? You can become religious in your dependence, which is why I believe that God has called us to be interdependent. Like the dependent person, we need to be, but we have one more plus going our way. We bring other people alongside of us. And in spite of their faults, their shortcomings, we know that each of us together will help the other grow in God. How many know that passage very well? Philippians 4.13. Uh, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Powerful statement. Powerful declaration. And I can. But listen to what Paul says in 3.14. He said, yes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I was sure glad that you shared with me in my troubles. See, Paul understood that God was his source, but he also understood, I need others around me to shore me up, to help me. Folks, as a pastor, I I went through something many, many years ago, and I have this dear friend that will have come out to our church here. One of these days, he's part of our our board of directors for our church. His name is uh, uh, Lee Schmidt. Uh, and Lee was, was uh, basically ran my church when I was pastoring in, in, at Victoria's Life in California. He, you know, he just, the structure, the, just a wonderful, wonderful dear friend. But I went through some pretty tumultuous times. And understand, Lee had come into our church. He had, he had kind of gotten saved and, and was kind of floundering around and didn't know he was going from this church to that church. And all of a sudden, God plugged him into our church, and he started blossoming. He started growing, and he started developing, and just a wonderful uh, man of God he became. When I went through all the stuff that I went through at the close of the days of Victorious Life in in California, if you want to get into uh, any of that history, you can come talk to me later. 
I took Lee into my office and I locked the door. And I said, Lee, I've taught you everything I know. I've ministered to you. I've been pastor for, for, for you for almost 10 years. I need you to start preaching to me all the stuff that I've taught you. Because I need you to join me right now. I need to be lifted up right now. I need some strength. Oh, I know the word of God, but I need somebody to come alongside of me in my troubles. Ladies and gentlemen, you can become so heavenly minded, you know, earthly good. You've got to bring other people alongside. You've got to become interdependent one with another. The Bible says to share your burdens. The Bible says to build those relationships. He said, yes, I can do all things, but I sure am glad that you came alongside of me in my troubles. You want to live a victorious Christian life? It's a choice. It's a choice. Are you going to trust God fully that he will never let you down and step out in faith and ask others to journey with you? We can live a victorious Christian life. Do we really believe that? The Lord is the only one who won't let us down. Folks, look at me, please. Look at me. I want you to see a man that can let you down. I can, and maybe I already have to some. But if I haven't, be encouraged. I probably will sooner or later. Just a man. But God won't. And God in me won't. And God in me for you won't. One of the ways that I get myself up when I'm down is by lifting you up. We must learn in your notes that God is totally dependable. 1 Corinthians 10 says, There's no temptation that has seized us except what everybody else is going through. That's the first lie the devil tries to get you to believe, that you're in this alone. He said, but God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but he will cause that temptation to go away and make a way that you can stand up under it. But then he added these words that I want to look at in the 14th verse. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. What does that come from? Because so many of us, when we're going through testings and trials and temptations, we're looking for a way out other than God. We're looking at something that we can trust to pull us through, and that's what idolatry is. You see, when we talk about idolatry, we, we, we think idolatry to be a tangible thing only. But idolatry literally falls under the banner of anything, anyone, anywhere that we put our trust other than God. God said, I will make a way. Hebrews 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Keep your lives free from trusting this world's system. And listen to what it says. Be content with what you have because I have said I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God said, stop trusting the world system. Stop trusting money. Stop trusting mammon. Stop trusting the things around you and realize where you are. Be thankful for what you have. I'll take care of what you don't have because I have promised I will never leave. I will never forsake. And because of this, you can say with confidence, 
God is my helper and I will not be afraid what man can do. We've got to learn that God is totally dependable. We've got to develop faith in the times of adversity. A statement that I, that I learned a long time ago is trying times are trusting times. When I first got saved, I found a, a little plaque that I stuck on the front of my Bible when I was a brand new Christian. And the, the, the plaque very simply said that the will of God would never take me where the grace of God could not keep me. 1 Peter chapter 1, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now you go through troubles and griefs of all kinds of trials. But in this you greatly rejoice, that these have come, these trials, these struggles, they have come that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, will be proved genuine. Thirdly is we have to develop faith in God in times of plenty. Now that sounds a little awkward. Why should I have faith in God in times of plenty? Because it's in times of plenty that we start trusting the plenty. That we start trusting what we have instead of rejoicing and yet what God still wants to do. 1 Timothy 6 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope, their trust in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their trust in God who richly provides everything. And look at this, underline it, for our enjoyment. We must always be sure that we possess our possessions and our possessions don't possess us. The last thought is that we have to develop faith that God is our source always in everything. Psalm 20. I didn't put it up on the screen, but it's one that you should write down. Verse 7. It says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots but I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord. You know what it's saying? Some trust in the arm of this world to protect. Some trust in the provisions of this world to provide. But he said, I'm going to trust God. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 18. He said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Did we learn something this morning? I, I read this to you guys about four months ago uh, in March. I, I preached a sermon. Uh, and I, I, as I was going through my notes last night, I was thinking, man, where is that? And I, I went and dug through it, and I found it. And I, want, I wonder if you don't mind be, me being a little redundant and I want to read this to you again. This was something that was written by a pastor in 1976. 
Pastor S.M. Lockeridge, he pastored a church in Detroit, Michigan. And basically, if I can conclude this message with this, these few thoughts, I want, Ari, if you, would you come just play a little piano and the worship team? We're going to come up and sing a song. So at the end of me reading this, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. How God has broken the chains from your life and mine. And I want you to look at me as they come this morning. Take your eyes off your notes because this isn't in your notes. As your pastor, I've, man, I've been through the road of hard knocks. How many say they know that address very well? And I know that before the Lord returns, I will keep going down that road of hard knocks. But there's one thing that I've had to learn. Is that if I'm going to be victorious, I don't care how rocky the road is, how deep the pit is, how long the valley is, or how high climbing that mountain will be. If I'm ever going to live a victorious life, i got to keep my eyes on Christ. i got to trust God that He will do everything He said. And the minute I stop trusting, please listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. The minute I stop trusting, I might as well close the book and go home. Because I'll eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow I'll die. If God isn't who He said He is, if He hasn't done what He has said He has done, I don't care. You can grab all the religions of the world. Guess what? You can believe in Buddha all you want to. You go over to Asia, you find His bones. You can believe in Muhammad all you want to. You go over to, to the Middle East, you find His bones. You can believe in, in, in Krishna. You can believe in, in, in Moon. You can believe in this person. But you go and you find their tomb and you'll find their bones. Ladies and gentlemen, you go look for the living of God. His bones are not there. He is risen. He is alive. And He is who He said He is. And because He lives, because He lives, Pardon the passion of your perpetuous preacher. Because he lives, I can face hell itself and still live a victorious Christian life. Because he is alive. Can I read this to you? And like I said, I read it to you four months ago, but I, I just really felt it was today. Listen, he's the one who made us. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love and no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soreless supply. Can I tell you something? You can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. 
He's enduringly strong and entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast and immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful and impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He's God's Son, the sinner's Savior, the centerpiece of civilization. What I'm trying to tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, if you will, you can trust Him. He doesn't have to call for help. You can't confuse him. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of the spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age, the superlative of everything good and you can call on him I'm telling you church if you will you can trust him he can satisfy all your needs and he can do it simultaneously he supplies strength for the weak he's available for the tempted and the tried he sympathizes and sees he guards and he guides he heals the sick he cleanses the leper he forgives the sinner he discharges debtors he delivers the captives he defends the feeble he blesses the young he regards the aged he rewards the diligent he beautifies the meek I'm trying to tell you church you can't trust him He is the key to all knowledge. He is the wellspring of wisdom, the door of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace, the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness, and he is the gateway to glory. Will you put your eyes on him and begin to trust him, church? He's the master of the mighty the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseers of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors, the prince of the princes. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. His office is manifold. His promises are sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. Ladies and gentlemen, you can trust this God I'm talking about today. His grace is sufficient. His reign is right. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, but he's indescribable. Why? He is incomprehensible. He's irresistible because he is invincible. You can't get him off your hands. You can't get him off your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Pilate couldn't stand him. When he found, he couldn't stop him. And Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Even the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't keep him. And thank God the grave couldn't hold him. I'm trying to build a victorious Christian life, church. And you can live the same life I live. And we can live this together. Why? Because together we'll build each other up. There is no one before him. There will be no one after him. He has no predecessor. He'll have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he ain't going to resign. You can trust him. Can somebody say amen? 
Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.